The Athletic. Hello, I'm Dan Bardell. Welcome to The England Show on The Athletic. After a month of national celebration and pride thanks to the success of Gareth Southgate's team off the field, a large number of England fans have delivered a day of national shame. Fans fought with stewards and police as they attempted to break through the gates for Sunday's showcase events, really ugly scenes at Wembley. On Tuesday, UEFA opened disciplinary proceedings into security breaches at the Euro 2020 final. There is a big read on The Athletic that you must go and read about the embarrassing events and how they might affect England's chances of bidding for the 2030 World Cup. And its two main authors, Matt Slater and Ollie Kay, are with me now. So, Ollie, you were at the game on Sunday. You were at Wembley as a supporter, taking in the occasion. How aware were you, one, when you arrived in London, and two, when you were around the ground, of, of how bad the trouble actually was? I wasn't aware in the stadium of just how bad it, it, it was. I, mean, I saw little bits, which I'll elaborate on. But I, what I was aware of from from friends who, who were already at Wembley at that point, and this is sort of two, three o'clock, was that it was apparently sort of mayhem around Wembley, you know, on the walk down from Wembley Park tube to the um, to Wembley. And that, what's that? Is that about half a mile up that walk or maybe less? But it was taking ages and people were getting sort of buffeted and people were getting, you know, beer chucked all over them and stuff like that. And there was apparently nowhere to nowhere to have a drink because every bar was packed. And it was all, that area was clearly full, way beyond the normal capacity of a match day because there were made way way more people there than a normal match day, despite it being a sort of reduced capacity crowd. There were clearly thousands and tens of thousands of people who had gone without tickets, either to um, soak up the atmosphere or to get, you know, to to, to bunk their way in without tickets. Um, so that I, I was aware of that, and and therefore avoided that Wembley Park area. Got the um, got the train to um, Wembley Stadium station, which was on the other side and was calmer by the by the sounds of it but it was still it was still you know the people throwing people throwing flares which hit you know hit, hit a young guy um on the back and he was a bit sort of perturbed by that people getting sort of beer chucked over them people getting you know look it's a lot of it is stuff that you just see on on you know any big occasion big you know um in, in terms of you know big matches big match big match occasions, but it clearly went far beyond that in terms of um, people storming the gates and forcing their way in without tickets and and so on. And look, that it's not the first time that's happened by any means, but it, it, the, the extent of it and the, 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 the trouble that it caused and the injuries that were caused and the racial abuse and some of the, some of the videos that we've seen of, of you know, fans inside the ground fighting, whether that was, Fans who had paid for tickets taking, you know, taking their own form of justice against fans who had forced their way in. I mean, it was as if two wrongs made a right there. The only thing I really saw from inside the ground was when I was out in the concourse getting a drink, you know, in the space of five minutes, I must have seen two dozen different people trying to sort of force their way in and, and running, you know, forcing their way to, through turnstiles getting chased and running into the stadium. Some of them were were dragged back and some of them weren't. I've, I've got sort of videos on on my phone of that, but they certainly don't compare to the, some of the horrendous scenes that, that, that were going on elsewhere in the stadium. Yeah, Matt, you've been involved in putting the big read together 
on the athletic first off i mean i imagine you spoke to, to many many different people and, and secondly how shocked are you by, by the scenes that you've seen and the stuff you've heard from these people like a lot of people i watched i watched at home with my family but i was following events on my phone and i'm sort of a sort of news junkie really so i was just you know i was sort of playing with my phone and i could see some videos of leicester square i could see some sort of comments about the kind of build-up outside and i i perhaps didn't really fully appreciate that things were unusual you know as i think as, as ollie has explained that you know if anyone that goes to the big games anyone that's been to an england game or just a large occasion you know you're gonna you're gonna see crowds that cried crowd dynamic where it's on the edge right that's that's the thrill of it right you know I don't, we don't, I don't want to police that out of existence I don't want to sanitize sport it has a function but it was pretty clear to me that we were right on the edge even before I'd seen any of the, the social media videos so so I was you know just 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 reading on Twitter and, and just and then I sort of saw the FA comment and I saw the reactions to the FA comment. And by about half time, I was really sort of, you know, kind of a bit distracted as to what was going on and thinking, oh, hello, this could. Uh. And, yeah, and then I just couldn't go to bed that night and sort of was just scrolling, scrolling through till about two, three in the morning. And then just sort of Monday and Tuesday, I, I you know, for the piece that Ollie and I did, Ollie, Ollie did all the hard yards, to be honest. He wrote it. Fair play. I probably spoke to or read, I don't know, 20, 25 eyewitness accounts spoke to sort of, you know, a dozen sort of stakeholders and that spilled over into, into yesterday and even to this morning, I'm probably up to about 40, 45 eyewitness accounts now. And they are all, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable how alike they are. You know, people who I trust, people who have been around the block, who don't exaggerate, have been to big games before, telling me they were frightened, Worst experience I've ever been to a, a sporting event, you know, telling me an anecdote about a child or something they witnessed that was way beyond the pale, at, at, you know, at sort of four or five in the afternoon. The scenes sort of at the gates of the stadium, just in the concourse, you know, r- really, really shocking, you know, stuff that we haven't seen before. You know, I think I've got a pretty firm picture in my mind of what was going on. I think what's interesting is now to explore how, why that happened. Could it have been predicted? What are the multi-agency systemic failures that happened? Are there issues around the design of the stadium? Are there issues around the concourse, around the footprint? How you move people from A to B? Whose responsibility? Wembley Way is, Arena Square is, the concourses are. How you police and manage that shifting responsibility? Because, of course, you can't just go, right, here's my bit. That's your bit. I don't care what's happening over your bit until it gets the mic. There has to be a meeting of minds there. It has to be some coordination. And I think these are the big, big issues that have to be resolved, have to properly be resolved, not just talked about for a few days and then just fingers crossed, you know, those unique bits about Sunday, you know, the 55 years, the 18 months of being cooped up, the eight o'clock kickoff, the build-up of emotion, blah, blah, blah. All of that unique stuff, yes the 30,000 empty seats that everybody knew about, but just some stuff that people have probably been aware of, but maybe haven't addressed about Wembley, about England games, about England fans. That's the stuff that we've got to deal with. And I think there are two investigations going on now. One's a UEFA one. I suspect that won't really answer the questions that we want answered. 
I think there's there's a there's an FA safety advisory group one, Brent Council, Great London Authority, Met Police one that really, really has to. And I wonder if it actually needs to be bigger. I think it I think it might, I don't, I don't think sort of keeping it in a safety advisory group, you know, a, a minuted meeting is enough. I think I think it needs to be bigger. So these are the things that I'm going to keep an eye on. I mean, not just keep an eye on. I I'm, you know, I've been really quite upset by the last 48 hours. I've almost forgotten the penalties. It's the sort of closest thing that I feel like I want to campaign about since I've been at the athletics. So I, I'm I'm not dropping this one. Ollie, there's a there's so there's a lack of control within the infrastructure of Wembley and what's happening around Wembley. And the, the difficulty is, as Matt says, you can't pinpoint it on one thing or one group or, or one person. There's so much at play. Yeah, there is because you know it's it's. I mean, it was it was a UEFA event held at a, um, an FA stadium, which is under you know which is in in a certain council within within um, within you know, within Greater London, which is it's you know that there, there's as you know Matt, Matt used the phrase stakeholders, and you know I think a lot of us in football sort of recoil at that phrase, but there are a lot of stakeholders in, in terms of that, that, you know, in terms of what went wrong. I think there were probably mistakes on absolutely all sides. I mean, to me though, the, there are two really different parts of this. One is the, the security and organization and logistical failures and the police's uh, failure to, or, or complete underestimation of, of how many people were, were, were going to be there. I mean, I, t- t- for an example of that, I t- was trying to book trains on um, Thursday, uh, and train t- you know, train tickets were just you know trains were just filling up. In, in front of, this is from the northwest. By Friday, I could barely get on a single train, um, and that told me that there were loads and lo- you know this wasn't just going to be a crowd of sixty thousand people. Uh, because that you know that that isn't normally the case for an England game that you can't um, you know with a full house there were clearly going to be tens and tens and tens of thousands of people more than that who were going to be there for some reason the police didn't cotton on to that and and, and thought they, that that they had enough or or maybe that you know maybe the police's budget you know resources are just so stretched by you know COVID absences and 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 and, and one thing and another and budget cuts but there weren't enough police there the police have. Um, admitted that and 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 they they underestimated that people would sort of ignore their instructions to stay away if you didn't have a ticket i didn't i don't even remember seeing or hearing those instructions by the way no i can't say i don't have a ticket i think wembley is wembley stadium is sort of built with that kind of venue event in mind but not for those numbers um so there are all those issues. And then there's the other issue, which is absolutely fundamental to this and absolutely can't be um, swept under the carpet either, which is that, you know, the, the, the fan behaviour, because the number, the reason so many police were needed were that, you know, this wasn't just a peaceful gathering. It was really leery. It was really aggressive. It was really belligerent and antagonistic. And it was, you know, aggressive intent to get into the stadium and injure, you know, Stewards injured, police injured, no doubt fans injured as well because of scuffles between them. So there are all these different issues, and as Matt says, you know, it just can't. It can't just be. Uh, well, I felt like there's been a little bit of buck passing the first twenty four hours or so, where so oh, oh, well, mm. we did this, and and it's it, it's their issue. I felt that amongst fans as well. You know, fans blaming you know, fans blaming the police, lack of stewarding, etc. 
it shouldn't need to be, you know, there shouldn't need to be a sort of riot police type operation for, for a football match. And if that was what was needed, what does that say about the the um, the England fans' um, behaviour on the day? So I, I feel every conversation about it on social media, you get a lot of what about Well, what about security? What about the fans? You know, it's there needs to be responsibility taken on all sides. You know, the, there is a lot of blame to go around, if I could put it that way. Yeah. And ultimately, Matt, mm. I mean, we say about the blame going around, but there is an element within the England fan base, an element with supporters that have gone, gone abroad in the past. You know, this, of this volume, it's, a, it's probably a new thing, but, you know, trouble has followed England supporters around for a long time and it's no coincidence. No, um, I, I'm always uneasy, a bit wary about answering that type of question. Not, not. I don't. I don't like ducking questions. Hmm. It's just I'm not an anthropologist. I'm not a sociologist. You know, I have been an England fan. I've been away, like as a paying fan. I've been to World yeah. Cups. I've, you know, I've I've been a club fan. I, I I've been to big music events. I've been to other sporting events. I, I've I've sort of seen crowds. I understand crowds. I've been on stag do's. I'm not a saint, right? Uh, but, you know, I'm not, I don't want to sort of contextualise and, you know, give, you know, long waffly answers about psyche and what's going on there. And I, because I don't, I think sometimes it's that, that sort of, it's bloody obvious, right? That what happened on Sunday was out of order. We could throw Brexit in there. We could do all sorts. We can, you know, we could talk about kind of angry young white people. We could talk about, you know, all kinds of dynamics and people not having a voice and, 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 and you know, the, the, the politics of riots. It was going wrong at about two, three in the afternoon. People had drunk too much. People were getting naked. They were throwing stuff around. They were, you know, leering at women. They were racially abusing stewards. I mean, come on. I mean... You know, you've, got, you've just got to take some personal responsibility at times. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, that sort of pack thing, you know, what the, the defence normally is it's a minority, right? And I've, I've seen the minority of England fans or whatever it is fans in the square, and I've sort of gone, mm, there might be some trouble there later on. It's quite funny at the moment. They're kicking a ball around. They're, they're taking photos with the police and the locals. It's okay. Bit of an edge. Might go wrong. Hope it doesn't. But I'm going to go over here to this restaurant and stay out of it and have nice chats and make my own way to the grounds. And you know what? Nine times out of ten, that's absolutely fine and it works. What I have heard from people who do that and have successfully done that at other places, that Sunday was not like that. There was no, I'm going to go over here to this side or this restaurant. I'll talk to these people. No, you had no choice. There was only one thing going on and it was a near riot for a few hours. And look, I think we got away lightly. I think we've humiliated ourselves on an international stage, but I think we got away lightly in terms of something dreadful happening. A couple of people could have died. They could have been hit on the head with a bottle. They could have had a seizure. They could have had a heart attack. And there's no way from what I've heard, anyone was getting out, getting them out of there safely. So some, some, you know, a few people could have died. They didn't. Thank God. Are we, are we sort of supposed to be relieved that we got lucky? Well, at the end of the day, it was, it's a football game. 
So that's what upsets me. I'm still upset about it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I completely agree with you. I mean, there's this, there is this thing where it is kind of the, the perfect storm of it being a home final. The first time in 55 years, we've been in lockdown for 18 months. There's not many, there wasn't many places to, to go in London for mass gatherings of fans, no fan parks, really. Massive amount of empty seats as well, Ollie. But did you ever feel unsafe in the ground? Did you ever feel in danger? In the stand, I didn't feel unsafe at all. I've, I, 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 maybe maybe I was lucky in the area I was, and it was quite close to the Italian fans. And although there was, you know, there was a bit of people were people were sort of gesturing at the Italian fans, and the Italian fans were gesturing back. That's that's completely normal. I mean, I I, I wasn't, but it was. Uh, you know, that's that's just normal normal football fan behaviour. I'm not going to get on my high horse about that. But as I said earlier, when when I went onto the concourse, there was you know there, there were people sort of running through and there were there were sort of scuffles between those fans and stewards at that point. I didn't see I didn't see fans set, setting upon each other. I only saw that in um, social media videos. But that that was just sort of a five minute snippet on one particular block, one of what's probably hundreds of blocks around the stadium and hundreds of entrances. So just that five minutes, I saw, as I said, dozens of people forcing their way in. But by all accounts, there were other were other areas and other blocks which were completely overrun. I mean, hundreds hundreds going through in a, in, in a couple of minutes. And as Matt said, it could have been really, really, really ugly. I think the main concern I get looking at the footage is that somebody could have been trampled to death. That was the thing that was really at risk of happening because there were people who were just trying to stampede their way into the ground with absolutely no consideration for anybody else, not their fellow fan, not the stewards, not... Anybody, it was, you know, they were going to get in at any cost. Well, not any cost, but um, not any financial cost, but any cost to, to people's well-being or, or there were people who just didn't care what, what it was going to take to get in. And they might say, well, that's what a great fan I am. But sorry, the, those aren't great fans. There are people who would endanger their fellow fan and, and, and risk causing that kind of damage. I've got contempt for those people. Sorry. The tournament, Ollie, has been in, it, the tournament's been incredible. It, is, it has yeah, uplifted yeah. the nation up up until this point, and you you almost well, I've almost forgotten about all of that now because of what what I've seen was happening around, around the game on Sunday. So, suddenly now there's all this bad feeling around it, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and you know a lot of people were saying that the team had united the nation, and I think I think it had, you know, to, to a large extent. I mean, there's the odd attention-seeking sort of head-in-the-sand politician who's saying, oh, I'm, I'm not going to watch that that team because I can't support them because they... Generally, it, it had united the nation. You know, pe- people were people were all getting behind them. They were sort of, you know, people who aren't normally into football were my daughter and my wife. You know, they, they were really enthused and engaged by it. And then the events of Sunday, not, I mean... I, I don't think many people would have turned on the team for losing. I think what's what's happened is that the, the scenes outside have probably divided people more. They've probably, you know, there are people defending the indefensible. There are people sort of piling on for their own you know, political gain or whatever. There are people defending the indefensible for their political gain. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it shows that, you know, we're not a, a, a very united nation. We're a quite a divided fragmented nation and something like what you know something like the last few weeks with England doing so well you know it, it felt like it was bringing people together but in the same way you know it's, it's been described to me as a sticking blast and I think I think it, you know I think 
the tournament's over now. People might be more engaged by the England team. They might have, some might have been one round to taking the knee. Uh, that was the impression I got inside Wembley because there was there were a lot of applause for it. Whereas at the Germany game only a couple of weeks ago, there were a lot of boos. But it's it feels like you know, all, all those divisions are just massively out in the open again, and people are people are. It's you know, everything just seems so polarized in in the whole country, and I think, I think, yeah. Uh, I think probably a lot of those that polarization was was sort of visible on Sunday and and certainly in the aftermath and, and the debate around it. It's almost like till up until the semi final, it was almost being masked by England doing well yeah. now, which is a, a real real shame. Just as we're talking, Matt, and we're doing this podcast, the chair of the DCMS Select Committee, Julian Knight MP, has wrote to the FA demanding answers over Sunday's storming of Wembley. I mean, are, are the FA the, the people to answer this? Well, they've got to be, they're, they're one of the people, yes. I mean, as in my fir- first answer, I talked about stakeholders, sorry. Uh, agencies, if you like, it's been referred to as a multi-agency failure. Yeah, they're a massively important voice. Of course they are. It's their building. They've said it, it's, a, it's a stadium, not a fortress. Fine, I get that. It's not meant to withstand thousands and thousands of people trying to, you know, prize their way in and tailgate and all the other stuff. Okay, but yet they have a massive responsibility because if you if you put on a rave or a party and you don't make any provision for toilets or parking, and you just throw off parts. Yeah, it's a little bit on you if people piss in the streets and and, and, and park on people's driveways. I mean, yeah, so there's the, you can't just go, guys, this is our bit and we sell tickets and it's a football stadium really sorry about your broken windows and all the broken glass outside. Not our thing, right? So not all their responsibility, a very, very important part of the debate. I'm, I'm not surprised. I'm actually quite uh, encouraged, heartened that MPs, the select committee, which has a quite a good track record of actually holding the FA to account over the years, uh, is, t- is taking this on. My, my worry though, and whilst I have just said that this particular select committee can be quite effective, it, it's not always effective. Sometimes it's just a pile on. Sometimes it can just be 10 MPs wanting to say the same thing. Um, so as long as it's constructive and it shouldn't just be the FA, yes, by all means, write to the FA. I'd like to read another WhatsApp message or tweet that they're going to write to the Met and Brent Council and uh, the Sports Ground Safety Authority and the Football Safety Officers Association. Like I say, there's quite a few voices in here. This has been brewing. This is what's come across to me over the last sort of 48 hours. People have been raising these points about Wembley being a bit of a soft touch for tailgating, having some issues around how you police the wider area, a long-standing problem between football and police in terms of who foots the bill, whether you have enough police people inside stadiums, where they are, Double, t- double overtime. This has been going on for quite a long time. And Wembley, what happened on Sunday is really just sort of a culmination of a number of issues. Some, some very particular to Wembley, how the FA lost control of that project when they rebuilt it. Did they have enough sort of space around? How they've allowed the area to develop? How coherent some of that development has been? You know, if you could do it again with a blank piece of paper, would you have a Wembley Way type funnel like that that's very hard to get? interventions in and out of would you do it that way lots and lots of things have come across to me even some really simple things about you know i've had some i've had some quite passionate messages from from stewards at at clubs going you know we were watching with horror we deal with this stuff every week 
Here's, here's how you do a cordon. Here's how you do a controlled moving cordon. Here's what you do if someone's breached your area or you have to do a, a, a perimeter check, be it for, you know, pyro or COVID. Here's what you do. And, and they're, they're selling me, sending me pictures of games that they have policed saying, this is what we did. What were Wembley doing? So this is what I want MPs to get into. So it doesn't just become point scoring and people sort of sounding off about Brexit and England fans. and uh, Yeah, we, we, no, that, that will happen. But can we have something constructive to make sure that what happened on Sunday just doesn't happen again? It genuinely doesn't happen again. So that's, 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 I think, the constructive thing to get from this. Let's see what happens next. Some people listening might not be aware that England are potentially going to bid for a World Cup. You know, how might this affect the UK and Ireland's bid for the 2030 World Cup? And Wembley would potentially then be a, be a final venue. How, how does this affect things? Well, there's quite a few things. I'll, I'll try and race through this because this is, this, is, this is quite big. Um, so, yeah, uh, the UK and Ireland's joint bids been mooted, been mooted for a while. We haven't decided to really go for it yet. The background to this, of course, is that we've bid many times before, um, not quite got over the line. There's some sort of Eurovision-style popularity issues here. There's perceptions around arrogance of the FA. Um, there's some jealousy of the Premier League. There are lots of sort of reasons why we don't win these votes. Sometimes other people have got you know a better story to tell because it isn't just the technical bid and the commercial bid. It is your story. So you know, there's lots of reasons why we failed in the past. 2018, of course, is the most memorable one in that we failed disastrously, having thrown a lot of money and time and resource at it. So that's the background. 2030, joint bids are very much in fashion. Bringing the Irish in, great idea. Ireland's popular on within football circles, as is Scotland. More popular than us, frankly. When I say us, I mean England. So clever, all right? Expanded World Cup anyway, 48 teams. It, it all makes sense. Now, we were probably behind anyway. Now, it is the 100th anniversary, the 2030 World Cup. So there is a sort of romantic bid from Uruguay and uh, Argentina. And it's probably sort of growing a little bit, this sort of South American bid. There is also pretty much an, an open, guys, you can have a World Cup when you want it to China. FIFA are obsessed with the Chinese fan, this untapped fan, as are most big six clubs, big clubs anyway that they haven't been able to monetize yet. So if China wants a World Cup, it gets a World Cup. It might be too early for them. It would have to change the bidding rules because it's in the same confederation as Qatar. So FIFA would change that if China says, yes, we want it. It really depends on how good the Chinese team is, and they're not very good. So 2030 might be too early for them. You've got other bids. Now, now what Europe wants is a European World Cup. What Alexander Seferin, the boss of UEFA, wants is a Europe, a united European bid. Whenever, whenever Europe has failed, it's because it's been divided. He wants that nailed down quite quickly. He wants, he wants UEFA to just you know, lobby and campaign and just get behind a good old eight-year campaign. Actually, it won't be eight years, of course, because the decision is going to be 2024. They actually haven't fired the gun yet, formerly FIFA, on the race. That's probably going to be second quarter of 2022. So we're still about nine months away from the start. So you, we're in the sort of jockeying for position. I think UEFA wants this nailed down quite early. Now, Seferin, I think, is leaning towards Spain and Portugal. Spain and Portugal have been talking about a bid, an Iberian bid for a bit. They might even bring in a bit of Africa. They may even bring in Morocco, which would bring in votes from, Morocco, from Africa as well. The way things are done now with World Cups is it's a, it's a, it's a you, FIFA level vote. Every country, one country, one vote, 200 plus votes. 
So, you know, a tiny Pacific Island costs counts as much as Russia or the States. So, but you, they tend to vote in blocks. So these are all, this is all background, right? We went in to euros, the euros, needing a good euros. Now, Boris Johnson is massively behind this classic populist gesture. He had a big meeting with Seferin last week at Downing Street. He had time with the Infantino at the game on Sunday. We, we put on eight games. We put on an extra game. We, we bowed to UEFA's request for more fans in the face of some pretty worrying COVID stats for the semifinals and final. We agreed to let the UEFA family, the VIPs in. So that was part of our 2030 campaign right there. And then what happened? Pretty much the worst thing in the world happened for us. What's our, what's our Achilles heel? Hooliganism that they witnessed out of the bloody windows of Club Wembley. They were cocooned a little bit. They got busted in and out from the Royal Lancaster. So they didn't, they didn't have to walk up Wembley way. But by half time, they all knew what was going on. Now, what does it mean? It means that Spain and Portugal will bring this up again and again and again. It means that if England's bid, UK bid, Ireland's bid does go forward, whoever we're bidding against will bring this up again and again and again. It shoots a big hole in one of our supposed and apparent strengths, that we are good at staging events. That Wembley, for example, is one of our amazing stadiums that we have lots of. Well, hold on a minute. It just went disastrously wrong at your best stadium. Now, that's quite a hard one. Now, now on the flip side, UEFA is notoriously forgiving, lenient, because they have to deal with things going wrong quite regularly. And they, they, they hold club games every season in, in stadiums where there's a, a racism incident or bad policing. They're, they're not strangers to this. They tend to be quite, uh, I wouldn't say tolerant, but... Um, they, they understand, you know, if there's sort of, you know, unique circumstances, they'll go, oh, all right, okay, what's your plan? All right, fine. So it doesn't necessarily have to be a great big black mark, like, oh no, Sunday was wrong. It's we already had a problem. We were already second in Europe. And we've sort of blown one of our Trump cards. So that's the problem. Now, do we go ahead with this bid and risk the embarrassment, wasting a time? Don't know. Are there deals to be done? Spain and Portugal also quite like Euro 2028. Could a deal be done there? And then we then spend the next year saying sorry and coming up with an amazing plan that that never happens again and doing all the really, really clever work we'd have to do anyway to win a bid, which is reaching out and doing refereeing programs in, 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 in Africa and, and, and coaching and, and sharing a best practice and getting the Premier League on board and Prince William and Beckham and all that. We'd have to do all of that anyway. Is it worth it? That's, that has to be decided, I think, quite soon. Listening to Matt talk about the, po the politics of it, the diplomatic side of it, and how the bid has to be perfect. And then it does sort of rankle slightly that, that the World Cup was, well, it, it more than rankle slightly, I think it was a disgrace, but um, the World Cup was awarded to Qatar without any consideration of the technical merits of, of that bid. It was all um, people voting for, let's say, different agendas and different reasons. Um, so people are saying, well, hang on, FIFA turned a blind eye to you know, human rights abuses in Qatar, to hooliganism in Russia, to you know the heat in Qatar, which made it you know, cause this disruption to the whole football calendar and all of these issues. 
But I think that, as Matt says, the English bid has always had to be a perfect bid because of this sort of, because we don't have diplomatic sway over people, because we hope to be able to sort of acquire that kind of level of support. It's, it's all been about the politics. It's all been about the, the technical merits of the bid. The bid has to be perfect. And then the sort of diplomacy has to be perfect. 2018 bid, I, I think they felt they'd done everything as perfectly as they could. They could, And they still didn't get it. They got humiliated and beaten by Russia in the first round of voting. So this is an immediate hole in the arguments around hooliganism, around the, the arguments around um, event staging. And it's, you know, it's an embarrassing, it's a massive blow to the credibility of a UK-Irish bid. And it's a, it's a blow to the credibility of you know, Wembley staging Champions League finals and, and, and things like that. And, and you know, there's another Champions League final coming up again at Wembley. It felt like, particularly with the, with the UEFA voting for, for Euro 2020, the closing stages to be held here, it felt like that was an underlining that... that Wembley in London is is UEFA's most sort of trusted stadium, trusted venue for these big events. And I think a lot of that trust will have gone. Yeah, well, it's an ugly story. And I'm sure it's not the, not the last we're going to hear of it. You'll be able to keep up with everything that's going on on The Athletic. Thanks very much, Matt and Ollie, for joining me today. It's been a pleasure. Well, mm-hmm. I say it's been a pleasure to speak to you. It's been great to talk to you. I wish we'd been able to talk about something a little more positive. Thank you. And if you want to feel better and you do want to reminisce about some of the good times, there's plenty of content to go back and listen to from this podcast run. There was some Euro 96 pods, the reaction to Denmark and Germany, and there's also some very positive bits to go back and read on The Athletic. Thanks ever so much to listening to The England Show on The Athletic. Have a great day. The Athletic.